Okay, Erev Tov. Erev Mevorach. Erev Mevorach. We are now Parsha Shoftim after about a month break. And we're uh, fully into the new month of Elul. So I want to share with you a piece uh, that's uh, a, a bit from the Shvile Pinchas, or Pinchas Friedman, and some other um, comments. And hopefully we'll have a, a really nice message for tonight. Uh, Parsha Shoftin talks about a lot of things regarding the uh, government issues of the Jewish people, dealing with judges, dealing with office policemen, dealing with prophets, and dealing with a king. So we're going to talk about a king and the laws of a Jewish king. So we're going to look at five psukim here. Now, the notes you have are just abridged for my notes, so don't get nervous. I gave you the big first page and the last page. And uh, I, I made a handy-dandy chart, and I hope I, I made it really quick this morning, so I hope there's no mistakes. And if there are, you'll point them out for me. We'll fix them up. So let's discuss what's the laws of a king. So we have three main laws. It says, Rak lo yarbalo susim. But he should not have too many horses. And not send the people back to Egypt, Laman Harbo Sus, to have more horses, because Egypt was a place that had produced amazing horses. Till today. And Hashem said to you, Hashem told us we're not to go back to Egypt. So that's the first prohibition of a king not to have too many horses. Second, you shouldn't have too many wives. So they will not let his heart go astray. That's number two. And number three, and he shouldn't have too much gold and silver. These are the three. Three negative commandments. And now a positive commandment. And when he's sitting on his royal throne, he should have a copy of this Torah written on a scroll before the Kohanim and Levim. And it shall be with him, this Sefer. And he will read it all the days of his life. Why? So he will learn to fear God. To guard the words of this Torah. And these laws, these statutes to do. So that he will not be, act haughtily towards his brothers. And not to turn from the mitzvahs right or left. So that he will have a long uh, reign. Who ubanov him and his sons bekeri Yisrael amongst the Jewish people. Okay. This is the main laws of a Jewish king. So let's analyze a few opening questions to start. By the end of the night, we'll have about 10 questions we're going to address, but we don't want to pummel you away with so many in the beginning. First, Remember, it is the year 5782. This Shabbos, we're going to read this Torah portion. We have to always read every Torah portion as the Torah is speaking to us right now. 
So the question we have to ask is, so what relevance do these laws of a king have nowadays when we don't have any Jewish kings? That's the first thing we have to discuss. Second, why is a king commanded specifically to not excess in these three areas? There's a whole lot of other areas in life that people should be careful of. So what's so special about these three? And... And more importantly, why does the Torah tell us the king is prohibited in these three areas? And also, why does he need this Sefer Torah? You know, every Jew is supposed to have their own Sefer Torah. Every Jew is supposed to write his own Sefer Torah. If we don't have a Sefer Torah, we have a Chumash, whatever. Seems the king has to have a second Sefer Torah. So what's the purpose of this second Sefer Torah? So these are the four opening questions that we'll start with. Now, what's important about this third question is, you know, it's telling us why the king is prohibited in these areas. Okay, why can't the king have a lot of horses? The answer is? What? So he won't go back to Egypt. Why should he not have a lot of wives? Waste too much time with them. They'll turn his heart. <clears throat> Why should he not have too much money? It's not clear. But the two of them, it is clear. Are there any other mitzvahs that we are given? Well, that's a positive mitzvah. Oh, that's a quick question. Sure. How do you differentiate question two from question three? What's the subtle difference? They're very similar. No, two is, why does the king have these specific mitzvahs? Why are we having these mitzvahs? But then, why does the Torah tell us why he's prohibited in them? In other words, question two is, why is are these the three mitzvahs of the king? But then the next question is, here the Torah gives us the reason why he has this mitzvah. We don't have this anywhere else in the Torah. The Torah does not say why you have to keep Shabbos. The Torah does not say why you have to keep kosher. The Torah does not say why you have to love your neighbor like yourself. The Torah does not tell you why you can't charge interest. But here it's telling you, you can't do it for this reason. Why is the Torah telling us the reason? We don't get reasons for anything else in the Torah. Everything in the Torah, there's no reasons given. Why are the reasons given for two of them at least? Just say, he can't have too many wives, period. You can't have too many horses, period. So why do we have to know the reason behind that? To, to narrow, narrow yes. the king. What about King Shlomo? Like a... Ah, that's where we're heading now. Okay. We cannot learn these psukim without discussing King Shlomo, and hopefully we're going to give you because some beautiful... the Torah knows exactly what will happen. I understand, but the Torah knows a lot of things will happen if you don't keep misses, and it doesn't tell us the other Torah things. The doesn't want to have a king no, thought, at all. He thought he could handle it. They don't want to have a king. By the Torah, we don't need a king. Trying to get us we out do, of it. No, we do, but there's a time and they got it. We don't need it. a king. Well, either way, it is a mitzvah. One of the 613 mitzvahs is to have a king. Really? Yes. It's one of the 613 mitzvahs. Is to have a king. Then there's a debate. But at the right time, there is a mitzvah to have a king. And if you have a king, these are the mitzvahs of the king. And we gave two reasons. We gave reasons for two of those mitzvahs. And we don't have anywhere else reasons for mitzvahs 
in the Torah written at least. So, so now that you want to know about King Solomon, so we're going to get an interesting point here. The Gemara says here, I got the Hebrew and the English. Where it says, why does the Torah not give us the reasons for the mitzvahs? Why not? So the Gemara answers, because there's two psukim where the reason was given, and because of that, the greatest of all stumbled in it. And this is our case here. It says not to have too many wives. So Shlomo said, I will have more wives, and they won't turn my heart because I am the wisest of all men. Yeah. Doesn't apply to me. Huh, but then we see later on, as he got older, <laughs> the wives did turn his head. Torah says, don't have too many horses. Shlomo says, I'll have a lot of horses, and I will not go to Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out he did go back to Egypt. So therefore... Now we know why the Torah doesn't give us reasons. Because if it gave us the reasons, then we as Jews figure, ah, but if that's the reason, then that doesn't apply to me. And here's the biggest proof. Because the two places where he did give a reason, that's where things got messed up. Can you imagine we gave the reason for all 613 mitzvahs? Now, most people are just aware of two, but there's Yerushalmi that seems to say not just two, but three. Three. All three have reasons. Even though two are clear, the third one is not as clear. So the Jerusalem Talmud tells us that there were, there were, that Shomach was taunted by the attribute of justice in three areas, three areas, not to have too many wives, horses, or money. Now, very interesting. Look at the first letter of these mitzvahs. Lo Yarba. You see that yud over there? Okay, it says also Velo Yarba. Again, not to have too many wives. Okay, v'chesev isov lo yarbe. Three times, yarbe. To increase, excess. So it says, this, we're going to look at two medrashim, say the same thing. So now, the Sefer Mishnah Torah, as it were, esoterically, Sefer Dvarim, as Shlomo is violating these mitzvahs, goes up to Shemai. And presents itself before Hashem. Look what's happening. Here's a mitzvah, and this king is not keeping it. He appears to be nullifying the mitzvahs. That's very fascinating. Why does, and who got up and said that? So it was the letter Yud. See, Yud three times, I showed it to you. Yarbe. Yarbe, Yarbe. The Yud keeps coming and saying, what's going to be? He's nullifying the mitzvahs. As he says, Shlomo, Mavakesh, Laker, he wants to take the Yud out of me. So Hashem says, don't worry, don't worry. Shlomo's going to leave this world. A thousand people like him will leave the world. And your little Yud, even the little corner of the Yud, is not going to ever get lost. Never get lost. Or a similar version. 
uh, the Midrash Vayikra Rabba. Same thing. Again, it's the Yud. Always the Yud keeps coming back and forth. Same idea. Now, an interesting question. Why is the Yud singled out and not any of the other letters of the Psukim? What's with the Yud? In other words, look what it says. Rock low yarbe. Well, how about the word low? No, let that stand up. Or velo yarbe. Or again, low yarbe. How about the no? The no should get up. What's up? It's the yud. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, no, it's just a yud. It's not a shame, Hashem. Yud is not one of them. No, it's just one letter. So what, what's so important that the yud is, is getting up over here as opposed to any other letter? Interesting. No, he didn't go up against. Well, he, he, he went against his son, Rechavim. He, he went up against his son, Rechavim, right? Against Rechavim. Against Rechavim, not against Yerovim. No, Yerovim ben Nevoat rebelled against Rechavim, the son of Shlomo. But that's interesting thought that there's a Yud um, in his name as well. Okay, anyway, so the Rambam brings these three mitzvahs in, the, in his Sefer HaMitzvahs. Rambam has a listing of mitzvahs, and he lists these three as three separate mitzvahs. And he says the following, and uh, it's interesting, he writes that Hashem provided the reasons for the three prohibitions, not two, three, that the king was warned against. Accumulation of horses, wives, successful personal wealth. As a result, these commandments were violated as well known from the narrative concerning Shlomo. He failed despite his great knowledge and wisdom and his intimate relation with Hashem. This should serve as a lesson for all, knowing the rationale behind all the missus which surely lead to transgression, especially for all of us who are less wise and weaker in our resolve than Shlomo Melech. It would be natural for people to think that since they know that the reason for a particular provision is so-and-so, they simply need to be careful not to allow that so-and-so to happen. <laughs> and the results will be disastrous. There Hashem hid the reasons. Okay, so Ram is saying, we now understand why Hashem does not give us reasons. Shlomo, you imagine, he's a pretty good guy. And he messed up. Can you imagine we who have our own uh, personal agendas, much more than Shlomo had. Shlomo, we could clearly know, wasn't doing anything for a personal agenda. He just erred. We would have our own selfish reasons to want to make this mistake. Now, but so, we only have two. What about the third? What about this idea of money? Torah doesn't really say why you can't have too much money. So we have to go a little bit earlier in Sefer Dvarim where the Torah tells us something that will shed light on this. Torah tells us not to forget Hashem. Why? Pentocha v'savata, lest you eat and become satiated and you build yourself big houses and you have lots of sheep and lots of cattle and lots of money. And then your heart will become arrogant and you'll forget Hashem. So that's in chapter 8. So now in chapter 17, when it says the king shouldn't have so much money, we understand why. You're going to forget Hashem. 
So I guess Shlomo Melech thought, well, I'm never going to forget Hashem, so I don't have to worry about it. Okay, so we got all three. All three have reasons. All three, the smartest person in the world felt otherwise, and he messed up. That is where we're up to at this point in time. Rabbi? Yes, sir. I remember vaguely from our studies that all the kings, at least most of the kings, started off good. Later, as they had successes as a king and won some wars and were able to, you know, uh, lead the people properly, did, did, did they, I'm going to say, go astray or they laxed in, in, in the mitzvahs or they got haughty, whatever. Would that, was there anything there with sort of, because most of them, like even some he started off very wise. Well, I'll agree with you that many of them messed up. Yeah. I won't agree with you that all of them started off so good. Okay, <laughs> Not all of them even started off so yeah. good. Okay, Shlomo Melech started off good. David Melech was good. Yeah. Shaul, okay. As, as, yeah, we see a lot of issues with kings. Very few, we could say, go from cover to cover with excellent lives, like someone like Chizkiyo. But even Chizkiyo had a problem. He didn't want to get married, remember? So this is a very difficult subject over here. Okay, so let's um, go a little further for a moment, and then we're going to develop a few more questions. It's interesting that after this topic of the king, we now have a pasuk that says, Tomim tia im Hashem alokecha. You shall be wholehearted with Hashem your God. So what does that mean? So that means everything we've been saying. It's saying, you know, if Hashem tells you to do things, be wholehearted with Him. Don't ask any questions. Just do it. We see by a king, he was given three things. We have reasons for it. Also with reasons, you're not so wholehearted. Wholehearted means, what do you mean a person's tumming? First time Hashem says, do this, you say, no problem. That's a Tamim, wholesome person. Oh, it's a hard mitzvah. No problem, I'll do it. If you're not so Tamim, you say, really, do I got to do this? I can give you five reasons why I shouldn't do it. So it kind of flows after we're telling the king what not to do, because don't, don't be too clever. <laughs> we're telling you, be wholesome, don't ask so many questions. Okay, so now let's try to get it a little deeper and say, what about these two Torahs? What's going on with the two Torahs over here? So the Gemara Sutton says, where were these two Torahs? One Torah was stored in the treasury. It was a nice, big, beautiful, safer Torah in the treasury. And one was very small. And it would fit on his arm. Like a Bible. On his arm, like this. And on his arm, you know, like some uh, football players have these big uh, things on their arm, not a cast. I don't know what it is. It's like iPhone. Oh, like, oh so they have like a, like a, a reading material. Yeah, whatever. Playbook. Playbook. So he's got it right here. It's appended upon his arm. So the question is, why does he need two? One's good enough. So the Benayi Sachar gives an amazing answer. 
Rubbers. He says like this. We're obliged to do mitzvahs that Hashem command us with all the mitzvahs. And he says, we're not obliged to investigate why we have to do the mitzvahs. Even though, even though he says, it, it's a, that the mitzvahs in our hand, it's a good thing to find some reasons to how we understand it. But God forbid to never nullify a reason if we can't think of uh, a mitzvah, we can't think of the mitzvah, because the mitzvahs are divine intellect, and who's going to ask questions on God? Okay, so what is he saying over here? There's a very interesting thing, and a lot, there's a big discussion amongst the great Jewish philosophers. Is it helpful or harmful to try to understand the reasons for the mitzvahs? What? Helpful. Not helpful. 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 Okay, very good. I'd love to have opposing views. Let's just do a random, unscientific sample. Raise your hand if it's helpful to know the mitzvahs. Okay, three, four, five, six. Who says it's not helpful? One, two, three. Okay, our unscientific poll, I think, was six to three. I, I might be off. but So how do we deal with this? And he talks a lot about this, the Chovas Havovas. A lot of Sfarim talk about this. And they basically say the following. He says, no, the more you understand something, the more you can relate to something. Okay? And, you know, in many of the Svarim, there's Svarim written about the reasons for mitzvahs, such as the, uh, the Sefer HaChinuch. Sefer HaChinuch almost always gives, and the Shorish of this mitzvah, and the way Chazal call this is called Ta'amei HaMitzvahs. Ta'amei HaMitzvahs. I have a book like that one. Now, what's a Ta'am? In Hebrew, there are three translations for the word Ta'am. Tes, Ayin, Mem, Sophis. Flavor. Okay, one is flavor. Yummy. It has a Ta'am. What's another explanation? Siba. Uh, a reason. There's a third. Musical note. Yes. Right. A musical note is ta'ameha kra. Musical notes. Now, what do those three things have in common? They're all senses. Well, let's put it this way. If you eat food. Well, you fill it with senses. Okay. I'm sure many of the women here and men over here make food. Now, what do you really need to eat food for? What do you really need to eat food? The real reason. To live. To live. Right. Who says the food has to taste good? If the food does not taste good. Now, let's give a, let's say, you know, in general, there's a general rule. Meat in and of itself does not taste good. Terrible. It does not taste good. I, why do we love meat? Because all the spices, sauces, and everything else. You just take a chicken and just bake it with no salt, no pepper, no anything. Even steak. No bark, a steak, anything. It doesn't taste good. It's healthy. It's got protein. But, but it doesn't taste good. Put spice on it. Now, why? Okay, you want it to taste good. Why do I want it to taste good? Because I'll be motivated to eat it. 
Imagine if food, you know, what happens, you know, when you lose your sense of oh, Corona, when you lost your sense of taste, there were some normal people who lost a little weight during that time. <laughs> because it's not fun to eat something you can't taste. So Hashem in his infinite love of mankind to motivate us to eat, he made things taste good or have an ability for it to taste good. Now, that is a ta'am. That is a taste. And sometimes the taste is so good, that's the whole reason we eat it. Because the food tastes so good, that's why I'll eat it, although really you should be eating it just for the health. But the health alone doesn't taste good. Right? God could have put vitamins in cardboard and say, go eat your cardboard, but it's not going to be geschmack. You're not going to enjoy it. So therefore, the rabbis who came up for reasons, they called them ta'amei mitzvahs. They called them the taste of the mitzvahs. We'll call it a taste of Torah. In other words, when you do a mitzvah and you don't even appreciate what it's doing for you, it's hard to, uh, to do it. But if you see something valuable in it, it makes it tasty. Now, just because something's tasty or not, is that going to be the reason, the bottom line, to eat it or not? What if you haven't eaten in three days and you come to a place, dried out piece of bread has no taste, but you're dying. You're going to eat it even though it doesn't taste good. So do we eat the food because it tastes good? No, we eat the food because of the nutritional value, but it makes the eating more pleasurable if it also tastes good. But if it doesn't taste good, I'm not going to stop eating same thing when it comes to Torah. Torah is our spiritual vitamins. Without Torah, we're dead. A person who does not keep Torah and mitzvahs is spiritually dead. Now, what's going to motivate you to have it? Well, if you really were a purist, you'd say, what do you mean? This is keeping me alive. So guess what? I don't care what my food tastes like. I don't care what my mitzvahs taste like. I'm going to do them because they're essentials. But it sure helps if you, if you need the taste it's going to make it a little bit more geschmack, make it a little bit more enjoyable. And if it's more enjoyable, you'll feel more connected to it. And that's the same idea with a musical note. A musical note puts taste, so to speak, into the words. The words that are just dry is one thing, but if it's cast to, to tunes, to music, it's much more pleasurable and a better chance for it to get in. So that's really the idea. And therefore the rabbis say that really it's good to search out for the reasons because Torah should taste good to you, but you always have to go in with a trepidation that in case the reason isn't tasty enough for you, it should never be a reason not to do it. Just like you make dinner every night of the week and the food tastes great. And this time Epis the cook wasn't so good. And the taste wasn't so tasty, but you know what? You're still going to eat it because you need to eat food to stay alive. And that's the way we look at mitzvahs. So therefore, Hashem says like this, I'm really not going to give you reasons. Because if I give you reasons, and I know you're Jews, you're going to mess up. But still in all, even though Hashem did not give us reasons, the rabbis in later generations felt it was important to look for the reasons because Judaism was getting a bit dry for Jews. And there was a lot of uh, 
temptations of other religions and other lifestyles that were much more relatable on an easy level or much more pleasurable. So we had to come up with something to keep the Jews in line to have the Torah, so to speak, compete with uh, other forces. So we'd want to hang in there. And therefore, the conclusion of the rabbis is, you know, if you're smart enough to figure out reasons, go for it. But make sure it is never the be-all and end-all because whatever we can understand, it's a drop in the ocean compared to why God wants us to do it. And just like we give little children candy so they'll come to shul, but that's not the reason why you go to shul. You go to shul for the spiritual connection. But a five-year-old, he doesn't understand that, so you have to make it tasty. So many of us mentally or spiritually are like five-year-olds. So we got to give them a little candy, so I'll give you a nice reason. Ah, but what if you don't like the reason? Or, But according to that reason, maybe I don't have to do the mitzvah now. No, 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 no. You still got to do it. And this is what we learned from Shlomo HaMelech. The Shlomo HaMelech was so smart. And we gave him the reason, so he felt the reason didn't apply to him. Now, comes along the Shvile Pinchas, and he says, a beautiful idea. So why does the king need two safer Torahs? He says he needs one safer Torah in his treasure house, which means the one in your treasure house, that's the one when you sit down and you have time to really study the Torah, and you study it and you try to go deep and try to comprehend the reasons, every level of Torah, and that's his treasure. Wow, this is a mitzvah, and I'm thinking about the, the reason according to how I would understand it. And to me, this seems to be a reasonable reason, and that's all good, and you should cherish that and put it in your treasure house. But that's when we're in the world of thinking. And you're in your treasure house, you're in your study, and you're not acting. But then you have to go out into the world. And in the world of action, there can be all kinds of scenarios where your reason may not hold up. And putting the Torah on your arm is symbolizing that I will do what I need to do based on what the Torah says, even though I don't understand it. Ah, well, around that area, yes, similar idea. So therefore, the Sefer Torah is a reminder that no matter where you are, you got to follow the Sefer Torah, this Sefer Torah where you weren't spending time thinking about the reasons. And comes to a point where, you know what, the reasons, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to worry about the reason. Because based on my reasoning, I don't know why I'm doing this mitzvah. And therefore, uh, we have to have two Sefer Torahs. Don't we say in Kriyat Shema every day what? the reason why we have to keep the mitzvot? No. But then tell you why. Tell you why. That's a reward. That's a reward. That's not a reason. A reward is a reward. It's not a reason. And that's why when we're learning so Rambam at you, night. What will happen if you don't keep them? That's all external, so not Hashem internal. So, for example, for example. Uh, let's just pick uh, eating kosher versus treif. Why do it? God said so. Finished. Now come those who tell us what could the reason be. And it's they say that a Jew has a very divine soul and a divine soul has a very delicate system 
and a delicate system can only ingest certain foods that are catered to a divine individual. And no different than a person of making muscle, someone who's lactose intolerant. It's not a good idea to have milk. A Jew is trafe intolerant. Certain foods are not healthy for our souls. That's all there is to it. Because you are what you eat. And if you eat a pig, we know the pig, what's wrong with the pig? A pig is a chazer. And he, is, he fools everybody. He sticks his feet out telling everybody that he's kosher. While he doesn't chew his gut and he's really trafe. So you eat that kind of food, you become a politician. Okay? You are what you eat. And outside, oh, he's a tzaddik, but inside he's raping women, stealing money, getting money off the cuff. That's what they really are. Now, for a goy, okay, but for a Jew, as a divine soul, we're two cents and we can't eat this stuff. That's the reason. Now, God also, if you eat trafe, I'm going to punish you. That's not the reason I don't eat trafe. I don't eat trafe so I won't get punished. That's just the enforcement of the law. But I don't eat trafe because I don't want to destroy my spiritual makeup. Okay, so what if uh, you don't like that reason? You say, you know, I don't know about that stuff. I, I, I think it tastes very good. You know, they used to say, what was wrong with pig? If you eat pig, you'll get trichinosis. Well, now that science knows how to prepare pig properly, you won't get trichinosis. So therefore, there's no reason. People thought the reason you don't eat pig is because it's not healthy. Oh, now the pig is healthy, you could eat it. See, that's a problem. Okay. So you have all kinds of issues. Um, can you be Machal Shabbos? No. Okay, came along the conservative movement, the reform movement said, listen, we want people to come to shul. So better to drive a car on Shabbos, you can come to shul. Because what's the whole reason? What's the whole reason you can't drive on Shabbos? Well, it's a day of rest. Yeah, but if we're not going to drive, we're not going to shul. So they decided to pick and choose the reasons. And no, God says, no, forget about the reasons. You just can't drive a car on Shabbos, period. Okay, so it's a dangerous area. So therefore, the king, to avoid the problem of these three mitzvahs that I gave you a reason for, I'm telling you another thing, to have two Torahs. And when you're at, with your leisure and you want to delve into learning Torah and getting a geschmack and you want it to taste good, go to your heart's content and try to find every reason in the world, in your treasure house. But when you're going out in the real world where the rubber hits the road and maybe your reasons may not satisfactorily satisfy you, you still just got to do the mitzvah. So this is the message for the king. So now let's take this. Okay, so far, so good. But what has always been disturbing is how could Shlomo be so stupid? This is a question that bothers people. How could Shlomo be so stupid? He was a big international figure, but he still was a prophet. He still was the smartest of all men. And let's see what Hashem has to say about him. Okay? Because we're saying, well, look, look how badly he messed up. Yeah. Oi, Gaval, thank you. How did that happen? It's the pig. 
て Wait a second. Maybe it'll come back. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Okay. It takes it's a little bit slow. Okay. But let's look. It's a wonder. How can we say this about Shlomo? Let's look at a little bit beforehand. Two famous sources about Shlomo Melech. The first source says about how much Hashem loved Shlomo. Hashlomo had this big dream at the beginning of his kingship. Hashem says, you know, you could have whatever you want. I'll grant your wish. Hashem comes in a dream. And what do you want? He says, you know, I'm the, I'm the king. It's a big, tough job. I'm a young boy. I don't really know what to do. Give me wisdom to know how to judge the people. Hashem says, wow, that's amazing. You didn't ask for money. You didn't ask for wealth, power. You didn't ask for any of those things. So you know what? I'm going to give you the, the, the wisdom and I'll give you everything you didn't ask for. Why? Hang on. And that's what it says in a little bit, a couple chapters later. Hashem gave him incredible wisdom. His wisdom surpassed everybody's wisdom. He was the wisest of them. So now, there's an obvious question. How could Shlomo Melech muff it? He's so smart. He was smart to know exactly what to ask. So how, how could he have made such a mistake? This is an incredible question. When we were learning in the Navi about a year ago, we, we didn't really give you such a good answer. We gave an answer. More than that, the Gemara Shabbos says like this, Anyone thinks that Shlomo sinned in the conventional sense of a sin is mistaken. Wait a minute. What are you telling me? The Gemara is saying, well, he didn't really sin. Wait a minute. I don't understand. How can we say that? You say the same thing about when, when the Torah says, the Medrash said, a thousand Shlomos will go and not even a Yud won't be lost. The Mitzvah says, he's breaking us. What's going to be? So don't worry. He'll leave and you'll stay. Okay, so the question is, like, how do we understand all these Chazal? The Medrash clearly said, Shlomo made a huge mistake. He was figuring out, this is why Hashem did not give any reasons. Look what happens to get a reason. God makes a mistake. But how can you, how can you, how do we square that with the love that Hashem had for Shlomo Melech? And the Gemara says, well, if you think he sinned, he didn't sin. Well, did he sin or did he not sin? Okay. Now, and now, Here's another wumpakasha. A wumpakasha. If God didn't give us the reasons for mitzvahs, it's because if we get the mitzvahs, we can make a mistake. So why did he write it by these two mitzvahs? But what for? In other words, it seems like 
Hashem is fully aware. He's saying, listen, I know it's a problem to tell the mitzvahs. You see, because the one time I said to mitzvahs, look what happened. And God, you didn't know that's going to happen. But he wanted to prove it to everyone. Uh, oh, and, and Shlomo's dying? Yeah. What's going on? What's going on over here? Shlomo didn't ask for it. Uh, 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 he didn't ask for it. Hold on. So what do you mean to say by that? It's a good... He asked for the wisdom. Yes. Hashem, in his kindness, gave him way more than he asked for. But that he knew that that probably was not going to be good for him. So oh, so now we can flip the question. I think you asked that a few minutes ago. Why did Hashem give him what he didn't want? If I ask you, listen, I'll give you anything you want, uh, Hanoch. You name it, I'll give it to you. So Hanoch says, okay, Rabbi, can you teach me Torah? I say, well, not only will I teach you Torah, but I'll eat, I was fine giving you a million dollars. Here's a million dollars. Here's this, here's that, and I'll teach you Torah. He didn't ask for it. He didn't ask for it. So, so what's going on over here? Interesting. And, and Hashem knows that there's going to be a problem. So this is one of these examples where all the questions answer themselves. There's a famous Gemara in Avodah that says David HaMelech was not suited to do the sin that he did with Bathsheba and the Jewish people were not suited to do the sin of worshipping the golden calf. But what Hashem did, and I'll just say it simply, Hashem stacked the deck against them. He put them in a situation where success was not possible. Reasons we're not going to get into now. I mean, success could have been possible, but nearly impossible. Why? So people could learn to do tshuva. An individual could do a sin and say, I've done such a terrible sin, God will never accept me. But what does Hashem say? No, look at David HaMelech. He did a worse sin than you. And I accepted him. He was able to do tshuva. This will strengthen everyone to do tshuva. And if a nation does a great sin... They shouldn't give up hope either because, you know, the Jewish people did an amazing sin. No Jewish people could ever sin worse than the sin of the golden calf, and I forgave them. Now, look what the Gemara Bobasha says. David Sheniach ben Kamoso. David left when he died a child like him. So when David died, it didn't say he died. It said he lied down to sleep. What does that mean? In other words, it's like he never died. When you leave a child that's good as you are to replace you, it's like you never died. It's beautiful. So David was a great person, but he left a son just like him. Just like him. So what do you mean just like him? And now we come to these psukim that I spoke out already where Hashem said, look, look what Hashem says to him. You asked for what? For wisdom. You did not ask for. You did not ask for. Yamim Rabim, long life. You did not ask for Osher, you did not ask for wealth. You did not ask for Nefesh Vecha, the life of your enemies, conquering other nations. You didn't ask for that. You want to be wise, so I'll give you that, and then I'm going to give you all the other things you didn't ask for. And if you go in my ways and follow your father, you'll even have long days too. So what, what, what the Malvin explains, what is it that Shlomo asked for? The mama couldn't find an English for that. But he said he only wanted wisdom in order to adjudicate. 
wisdom. He didn't want wisdom for money. He didn't want wisdom how much money to make. He didn't want wisdom how to be a better general. He didn't want wisdom how to live a long life. He wanted only one kind of wisdom to be the best king he could be to adjudicate the Jewish people. Hulo bikesh rak inyan prati. He'll ask for one very specific thing. A heart to understand how to judge. Wisdom to lead his country for them, to be a proper judge. And Hashem said, well, that's all you asked for. I'm going to give you everything else. So again, why did he get what he didn't ask for? So says the Shvile Pinchus, he says like this. He says, Hashem intentionally said the reasons for the mitzvah so that Shlomo could fail. And in other words, as it says, everything, look at the Medrashir Hashim, everything that happened to Shlomo happened to his father David. Shlomo was a king, the son of a king. Shlomo was a wise man, the son of a wise man. Shlomo was a tzaddik, the son of a tzaddik. All that's written about one is by the other. David ruled 40 years, Shlomo ruled 40 years. And just like his father was forgiven for his transgression, so Shlomo was forgiven for his transgressions. So what we have over here is an incredible idea. The same thing we say about David, the same thing we say about the Jewish people, the same thing is said about Shlomo HaMelech. That Shlomo HaMelech really was not suited to do this sin either. And as it were, Hashem set him up. And how do we know he wasn't suited to do this sin? Because when God says, I'm giving you a blank check, whatever you want, now we're going to know what kind of guy he is. Now what would you do if Hashem says, I give you a blank check? I know some of us say, okay, how about $100 million? It'd be a good start. And I think many of us might say they want that. Or a long, good life. But to say, you know, I want to have the wisdom to help your people as much as possible. What does that tell us about this person? He has no interest in money, no interest in women, no interest in power. Correct? Yeah. And yet, what does God give him? Women, power, and money. Now, what does that mean? Shlomo says, I'm not interested in this. I says, well, guess what? I'm going to make you interested. Hashem leads him into a path with a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Potentially explosive compound of wisdom, power, wealth, lust. Shlomo was a good guy. He said, all I want is enough brains to lead the country. That's all I care about. I don't care about money. I don't care about women. I don't care about any of this. I don't want wisdom to figure out how to make more money. I don't want wisdom to figure out how to have more wives or to have more power. I just want to be the best king for my people. That's all he wanted. And Hashem says, that's very nice of you, but I'm going to give you everything else too. Why? Because that's going to Bring you to failure. Why would God want to do that? Because there's plenty of failures in this world that need role models to get out of. 
And just like David HaMelech was a role model of that, just like the Jewish people were, so too Shlomo HaMelech, the same thing. And then it says, the Medrash ends, furthermore, now this seems to be a non sequitur here, the divine spirit Rezabon, and he composed three separate texts, sacred texts, Mishlei, Koheles, and Shirashim. What does that got to do with anything? What does that have to do with anything? We're talking about his sins. What's Mishlei, Shirashim? What's going on over here? The answer is that these three books are the tikkun for the three sins that he did. Had he not made those sins, he could never have written Mishlei, Kohelis, and Shirashirim. And that's the benefit of the sin. You have to understand that often in life, and this was very important for Elul, for Elul, we have to go back over the last 11 months and think of the boneheaded sins you did during this last year. The fight you started with somebody and you don't even understand how you got yourself involved in that. The, uh, whatever. And you're really a pretty nice person. How could I have been so stupid to have done that? You know, how could I have hurt that person's feelings? You weren't even planning on it, but you just ended up doing it. How could I have not been so careful with the internet? Or whatever. And the point that we're this Parsha is telling us is that often Hashem is going to put you in situations that you didn't even ask for. And you're not really that capable of handling those situations. And you're caught off guard in that situation and you blow it big time and you do something terrible. And you're wondering, ah, why is this going on over here? And the answer is because you've got some texts to write. <laughs> you've got something to bequeath to humanity. Now, you're not as smart as Shlomo Melech to write Mishle, Kohelis, and Shira Shirim, but you've got what you can produce. And now we can just quickly explain how these three books correspond to the three sins. It's fascinating. What is the Bible, quote-unquote, on Teshuvah? What's the one safer that is universally recognized as the Bible on how to do Teshuvah? What's the name of the safer and who is the author? If you want to learn how to do Teshuvah, what's the book you read? Yonah. Rabbeinu Yonah's book Yonah. called Sha'arei Teshuvah, Gates of Repentance. Available at a Jewish bookstore near you. Or in the Westmount Shul website, the first chapter, uh, uh, I've given classes on that. Do you know how that Sefer came into being? Let me explain where that Sefer came from. We know that the Rambam in the 13th century wrote a lot of controversial books. They were good books, and history proved that he was right in what he did. But at the time when he wrote his magnum opus, the Mishnah Brura, uh, not the Mishnah Brura, Mishnah Torah, there were a lot of uh, uh, traditionalists, the establishment was not happy with what he did. He also wrote Mora Nebuchim, the guide to the perplexed, 
which was dealing with a lot of philosophical issues. He was a great uh, rationalist. And people spoke out against the Rambam. And ultimately what happened, they burnt his farm. Publicly, they burnt his farm. And Rabbeinu Yona was one of the group who was the anti-Rambams. Came a generation later. This argument raged on for at least 100, 200 years. He was an anti-Rambamist. But then when he saw that in the Louvre they took 40-odd wagon loads of the Talmud and burnt it, nearly the same place where the Rambam's works were burnt by Jews, he could not escape the reality that God was punishing us for this. And he said, I have to do tshuva, but the Rambam's not alive. How am I going to do tshuva? See what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a book about tshuva. And that book has been around for over 700 years, and that is the Bible of how to do tshuva. Now, had Rabbeinu Yonah and the other Hevra not been anti-Rambam, not done ugly, ugly, disgusting things, we'd never have a Shari Tshuva. So you got to realize, and where did that come from? Well, he, he didn't come up with the idea. It's Shlomo Melech, who really made, from our perspective, a bunch of boneheaded decisions because he was too smart for himself. But he was able to write three amazing Sforim. And this is, uh, we'll quickly uh, come to these three points and how these things take care of us. Basically, let's start with Sefer Mishle. What's Mishle about? Proverbs. Bunch of Proverbs? Well, here's one of the classic ones. There is neither wisdom nor understanding nor counsel against Hashem. Can't be too smart against Hashem. Because Shlomo Melech thought he did. Now what's the example that he gives to that? The horse is ready for the day of battle, but salvation is Hashem's. What does that mean? So Rabbeinu Yonah says, yes, we got to prepare horses and weapons for battle. But at the end of the day, where's salvation really going to come from? It's going to come from Hashem. So, of course, you got to do your due diligence, but the outcome of success depends on Hashem. Now, that's one of the big focuses of Sefer Mishle. So what's the point? He's writing. He's speaking about himself. He thought, I'm clever enough. I don't have to listen to the Torah's warnings. And the Torah warned me not to have too many horses because I'm going to end up going in Egypt. And he writes, it's true, the horse is there for battle. But at the end of the day, you don't rely on the horse, you rely on Hashem. So if you really understand this simple truth, you won't accumulate too many horses. So for the too many horses, he wrote Mishle, as Tshuva for that. Koheles, Ecclesiastes, when do we read it? We read it Sukkot's time. Why Sukkot's time? When we bring all our crops in. We now know how much money we got for the whole year. Oh, ho, ho. So we read Kohelis. Vanities of vanities. Everything's nothing. 
What does Shlomo Melech say? Kinasti li gam kesavazov. I amassed silver and gold and the treasure of kings and the provinces. Whatever my eyes desired, I didn't deny it. I didn't deprive my then. Then I turned my attention to appraising wisdom with madness and folly. For what can man who comes after the king do that has not already been done? And the Medrash says, he says, what was my folly? Because I thought I mastered all of Torah knowledge. And how can you be smarter than Hashem? I thought I was smarter than Hashem's answers. I failed with wealth. So he wrote, save for Kohelis, to make amends for not having too much wealth. And Shira Shiri, we know, is the love song. Between Hashem and the Jewish people, what's one of the classic lines? Kishoshana ben Achochim. Cain Rayosi ben Abanos, like a lily amongst thorns, so is my darling amongst the maidens. Like an apple tree amongst the trees of the forest, so is my beloved amongst the youth. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my mouth. What is this? This is a, the real love song. The real love song is between us and Hashem. Shir Shirin was made to atone for not having too many wives, loving the wrong things. Hmm. Fascinating. Fascinating. So Hashem set him up for failure, but what a blessing the failure was. We have three Sifrei Kodesh that would not have been in the Tanakh. And there's so much we can learn from this. It's interesting. It says in Sefer Malachim that he composed Shloshesh Alafim Mashal, 3,000 parables. 3,000 parables. Well, Rabbeinu B'chaya says a fasting shot. The word elef can mean a thousand. Elef can also mean studying. So he read, he made three study materials. And what are the three study materials? Mishle, Kohelas, Shirashim. So these three compositions that Shlomo taught the Jews a great lesson. Just like Rabbeinu Yonah. Without Rabbeinu Yonah, we would be handicapped in doing tshuva. How does Rabbeinu Yonah help us do tshuva? Because he made a fool of himself. But he came to the truth and now he made great tikkun that others will not make that same mistake. And then the Tsar, including what this Medrash adds, and the three Svarim correspond to the three Yuds. Remember those three Yuds? What about the Yuds? What do we know about the Yuds? So says the Chida. The Yud represents wisdom, humility, and thought. I don't have time to get in all the proofs. Yud is the smallest of all letters, which means humility. Yud is the beginning of all letters, because a Yud is really a dot. Every letter in the alphabet it starts with a dot. That's the wisdom. And Yud represents thought. For example, it says, Oz Yoshir, Rashi says, then Moshe thought to sink. Thinking before you do. The Yud represents those three things. And honestly, this is the discussion. The Yud's. We're saying, you know, Hashem, this guy's breaking all the laws. We're going to be have no Torah. 
What about the three yuds? Because Torah is meant to solve some problems by having wisdom, humility, and thought. And Shlomo is destroying them all. So now what I want to do to make a good summary and add a few more things, I got made this handy dandy chart. Hashem helped me a little bit. A lot. <laughs> and we'll take a look at this chart. I'll add a few things. And this is a great summary to the class. And I sent it out. You can print it out on your own. Yeah, this is the whole thing. Could have a mistake here or not. We will see. Let's start a king. A king is a melech. Got that? Mem, Lamed, Chafsofis. The Mem, Lamed, Chafsofis stands for, Mem stands for Moach, which is brain. Lamed stands for Lev, which is a heart. Chaf, or the Kleos, is the kidneys. In spiritual language, these are the three sources of the three levels of soul, Nefesh, Ruach, and Nesham. Nefesh is the divine aspect within you that makes every action you do a divine action with eternal consequences. That's product of a Jewish soul. It's very much connected to the body. Torah says, Hadam hu and nefesh, blood is the nefesh, and the kidney is purifies the blood, and the kidney is the source of that, so to speak. Next level is speech, ruach, feelings, emotions, animation. That comes from the lave, comes from the heart. And the neshama, the way to think like a divine being, it's sourced in the brain. Now, if you want to be a melech, you want to rule, you got to start with the moach, then the lave, and then the kloyos. Start using your brain and understand things well. Then get excited about it and then do it. But if you reverse it and you are a person who's a drug addict and you say, you know, that's really a cool thing to be a drug addict. I think we want to pass a law that marijuana is legal. This is the Trudeau method going in inverse. You take these letters, chaf, lamed, mem, backwards, as kilem means destruction. Now, obviously, when we talk about a king, in this parsha, we have to know that each and every one of us is a king. Why? Because a king rules over thousands of subjects. Different subjects, rich people, poor people, smart people, dumb people, white people, black people, people who have good self-esteem, bad self-esteem. He has to do with all the conflict, with all this. He has to manage it all. Guess what? Each and every one of us has to rule over thousands of different contradictory feelings throughout the day. You wake up, I'm tired. Okay, the king says, get up out of bed. Then you want to take on too many things at one time. Slow down, slow down. You get upset. And by being upset, you want to do it. The king says, oh, don't be upset. You have to rule over all the different mood swings throughout the day. And therefore, you got to rule. Whatever we say about a king applies to each and every one of us in our lives. Now, where's the best place for a king to be on his throne? His key say. Now, what does that represent? What does the throne of the king really represent? It's where he what? Where he what? He makes decisions. He rules. He makes right. decisions. Now, all of us should be sitting on a key say. Now, normally, to have a key say, 
Chaf, Samach, Aleph. You need three things to be successful. Kesef, money. Sus, horses. Aleph for an Isha, women. To be a successful king, you need to have a lot of that. Why? You need money to pay the soldiers, horses for war, and women to create alliances, and to have children, and to continue the realm. Those are all things you need. Yes, you need them, but to excess. King could say, if I don't have a lot of money to pay the soldiers, and I don't have a lot of horses, and I don't have a lot of wives, how am I going to have a kingdom? I don't know, maybe you should look in the Torah. Maybe the Torah will give you some answers. And once you have, you know, not, not, you have to have some money. You, can't have, you have to have some money. You have to have some horses. You have to have some wives. But the, what happens when you excess with them? Well, we know about money. We said before, if you have a lot of money, you forget about Hashem. You become arrogant. Arrogant leads to forgetting Hashem. Got to worry. How much money do you need already? That's going to, although the Kisei needs a certain amount, but if it's an excess, you're going to mess up these letters and you're going to dethrone yourself. The horses, the power, that's power. But too many horses leads to believing in your own power and not trusting in Hashem. Too many women will have lust, and we know what its lust does. It causes you to stray away from Hashem. What are the three cardinal sins? Idolatry, murder, immorality. Where do they come from? Idolatry, when you forget about Hashem. <laughs> forget about Hashem, so you start thinking about the idols. You want to have power? Well, I have power. Power corrupts, ultimate power, ultimate corruption. Absolute power, absolute corruption. You murder, how many people did Stalin murder? And too many wives, immorality, that's... And what's the root of those? Hakina, Vakovit, Vataiva, Motsinas, Automina, all of jealousy, pride, and lust take a person out of this world. This is what a king has to worry about because he has access to this. And don't we? Don't we have access to oodles and oodles of money? Don't we have access to oodles and oodles of new technology and oodles and oodles of options of immorality? Thanks to our internet. Yes, you have to have a little bit excess. So what do you have to solve it? It says, King, go around with that Sefer Torah. The Sefer Torah that starts these mitzvahs with a Yud. If you learn Torah, you're going to see how smart God is. You begin to learn Torah deeply, you realize what kind of dummy you are and how smart Hashem is. It can only make you humble. If you're really learning Torah properly, if you're learning Torah properly, you learn to fear Hashem and not anybody else. And you learn Torah properly, you develop a relationship with Hashem. You cleave to Hashem and you want to cleave to Him more than any other lust. Now Shlomo did not ask for riches. He did not ask for the life of his enemies, meaning power. He did not ask for a long life. By having children and continuing your life and things like that. And it's so interesting that his sins were those very areas he didn't want to have. And this is where the Yud comes in. Because the Yud, which represents what comes out of Torah. What comes out of Torah? Humility. 
Ah, but you get too rich, you lose the humility. So that part of the Yud got upset. The Yud represents wisdom. Wisdom, if you have wisdom, you'll have fear of Hashem. You don't have to have all the power in the world. And the Yud represents the thinking process. One thing is if you got too many wives, you have no time to think. If you learn Torah properly, these are the three great benefits. If you really learn Torah, you realize how awesome Hashem is and how small you are. You realize how smart Hashem is. And you understand Hashem's perception is the right perception and any other perception is a wrong perception. And the Torah trains your mind how to go through thought processes. These are all important things because if you have that, you don't get caught up in lust, pride, and jealousy. You don't become arrogant. You don't fear others instead of Hashem. If you really are clinging to Hashem, why do you have to cling on to lustful things when you have the source of all reality? And therefore, Shlomo Melech writes three Sfarim to help us to become humble by saying money is nothing. What's the end of the day? At the end of the day, Hakol Hevel, everything is, is nothing. Just fear of Hashem, that's all. That's all. Mishlei, that's real wisdom. Real wisdom from the Torah. Where you learn that Hashem is in charge. You don't have to worry about others. And Shir Hashirim tells you what true love is, not phony love. And that's what we're learning in this parsha. Each one of us is our own melech. When we got the Torah, we all got a crown. We all are a king in an era where nobody else is a king. And Hashem gives us things we don't ask for in life. And often we will fail with these things in life. And how we have to look at tshuva is not so much saying, well, Hashem, I was lousy, I was rotten, have mercy on me, don't punish me, and this and that. But rather say, Hashem, I understand you've taken me on a pathway, a pathway that I not necessarily would choose. And yes, you give me challenges in life I can't handle, but I meant to learn from those challenges. I have to learn from those failures and to turn them into beautiful svarim. And just because I made a lot of mistakes doesn't mean I can't make a lot of great things as well. But the only key is to keep that safer Torah with you. As the Mephorshim say, if a person does not study Torah, they cannot even begin to do tshuva. Why? Because you're going to lack humility, wisdom, and thought. Without that, tshuva cannot happen. Okay, comments, questions. Good? Wow. Now you understand Shlomo Melech. It was a setup job. But it, you know, ultimately he but he learned from it and we we're the better off for it. Okay. Excellent. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Have a pleasant Elul. Thank you. Okay, now we'll see if the tape came out.